0: Is a house in New
1: Orleans, they call the rising sun, and it's been
0: a ruin of many a poor boy, and God, I know I've won.
2: And welcome to the show. Tough week for the Minnesota Vikings. BG, we were dead wrong. Uh, I got to say that to start. We were. I, I was talking three touchdown victory for Minnesota. I thought we were going to roll this Dallas Cowboys team uh, with the 32nd ranked defense coming into this one, not having scored an offensive touchdown since late September. And everything that we were looking at coming into this game, uh, you know, portrayed a blowout, a blowout win for the Vikings, and it was anything but. The Vikings. They were terrible. We sucked, and you can't blame Kirk Cousins this time. Uh, The Kirk haters out there, I'm sure they'd love to blame him, but you really can't point the finger at Kirk. He's one of the few guys that played tremendously well on Sunday. The skill position, guys played pretty well on offense too, really well. They were explosive. They were uh, very efficient. They were dynamic. Uh, Justin Jefferson, Thielen, Cook all had good days, really good days, and it still wasn't enough. The offensive line took a big step back from the last three weeks. And maybe due to the fact that Ezra Cleveland didn't get the start in this game, didn't play in this game with an ankle injury, and Brett Jones started in his place. And maybe that was what happened. Missing one guy uh, of the offensive line really caused that much issue. But maybe that was it. Maybe that was it. And, but when you really look at the entirety of this game, I think the majority of the blame has to be put on the defense. A uh, lackluster performance as a whole Uh, individually, there were some fantastic efforts. Eric Kendricks, unbelievable day for him. I mean, he continues to separate himself from the rest of the league as the best covered linebacker, maybe the best overall linebacker in the NFL. Tremendous all-pro performance on Sunday from Eric Kendricks. He had that amazing uh, interception in the first half, nearly did it again in the fourth quarter to seal the game. I mean, he was all over the field. I mean, really helping the Vikings fill so many holes that they have on defense this year due to injuries injuries and, I mean, really just injuries across the board when you look at four cornerbacks being out. Neil Hunter obviously hasn't played a snap all season, likely won't. Anthony Barr out for the year. Uh, You lose Griffin. You lose Michael Pierce before the season starts. All these things we've had, and it's just finally caught up with the Minnesota Vikings And what was a terrible performance on Sunday. BG, uh, your reaction to this this terrible performance, 31-28 loss to the Dallas Cowboys.
3: Well, like you said, we were we were very, very wrong. Um, the question is whether is our bad takes or the Vikings just shit in the bed against one of the worst teams in the NFL, And I think hopefully more of the latter. But, yeah, I mean, I mean, we played good on offense, especially the second half. I guess we we didn't play good on offense the first half, only putting up seven points against that Dallas Cowboys defense. But then that second half we came out uh, from the first possession of the second half. Up until the end, we would have liked to have that last uh, scoring drive. But up until then, in between, I thought the Vikings played unbelievable on offense. Kirk Cousins, like you said, he had a great game for three touchdowns, over 300 yards, and for most of the game, he had a perfect passer rating, which we're not used to having a quarterback for the Vikings, having a perfect passer rating throughout most of the game. So he played great, I thought. In our offense, we had a balanced attack, Kirk over 300, Cook once again – Over 100 yards and a touchdown, and then Thielen over 100 yards. So on offense, after the second or after the first half, we were we were firing on on all cylinders, and we still couldn't get the job done, which is due, like you said, much in part to our defense and our special teams. Our special teams have been absolutely horrendous, Mm -hmm. especially in the past two three weeks. Um, I have the stat, and I can't even really believe it, but. The Vikings have 13 punt return yards all season long, 13 yards. And the Cowboys had 48 on Sunday. It's just unbelievable. We have had we have the second-worst starting field position in the league. Uh, I think we started on our own 24 or something this past Sunday. The Cowboys started on their own 38. Um, and the defense that is struggling right now, that definitely doesn't help you. Special teams is a way to kind of hide that bad, bad defense. Um, and when we have the combination of a bad defense, bad special teams, just, just a horrendous outcome. And we saw that putting up yet another embarrassing loss at home, um, like we did to the Falcons this year. So I don't know. It's just, it's, it's very disappointing, especially when we're on a three game win streak coming in this game. And we're so confident. We're thinking, okay, we got the right stuff going now. We got the juice and something happens like that. It's just, it's just heartbreaking once again.
2: Yeah, and we didn't see it coming. I don't think this Vikings team and the Viking coaching staff didn't see it coming either. Mike Zimmer, leading up to this game, said they were ready to go. He said, I mean, obviously he's going to say that, but talking to other coaches on the team on the sideline before uh, in, in practice this week, he thought they had a tremendous week of practice, and he said this team is ready to go. They're ready to play uh, on Sunday, and it couldn't. we couldn't have been more wrong. Uh, it was absolutely pathetic. There were so many different you know, people you could point the finger at, uh, from the defense to the offensive line's performance to some terrible cornerback play in the secondary. And also there was some really bad officiating. Uh, three or four really bad calls, in my opinion. They didn't decide the game. I don't think the Vikings lost the game because of it. Uh, I mean, you make so many mistakes throughout the day, you cannot point to the two or three uh, mistakes that the officials made as, okay, that's the reason we lost. Well, what about the other 25 mistakes the Vikings made? Uh, but nevertheless, I want to go through them because I think there were some pretty big calls. And I thought the officiating was very one-sided um, on Sunday. Uh, the Vikings had eight penalties for 80 yards. to is four for 40 yards. I thought there was three calls that were inexcusable and horrible for this Bill Vinovich crew. One of the best crews in the NFL, at least from a reputation perspective. They're very, uh, usually a very good crew. You know, ref, this Vinovich crew usually goes deep into the playoffs, if not getting all the way to the Super Bowl, which would make them the best officiating crew in the NFL if you get to the Super Bowl. I highly doubt this Vinovich crew is getting there this year. But let's go through the penalties uh, really to start the game, that helmet-to-helmet on Kirk Cousins when he fumbled the ball. I mean, that is ridiculous. How is that not called? It was reviewed. It was looked at. It was clear. Helmet-to-helmet contact. Cousins head snapped back as the defender pounded right into his face inexcusable missed call, inexcusable missed call right there. Uh, And then they follow that up with the Harrison Smith uh, hit later on in the game where he was shoulders into the upper shoulders of the receiver. Yes, the guy was in the air, but I don't think that was a defense receiver by the time he was hit. I mean, he was on the ground once he got hit. It was not to the head or neck area. You could argue neck at the highest, but I still – I still hate that penalty. I mean, what else do you want him to do there? He led with his shoulder. He hit him lower than the head area. What else do you want him to do on that play? And if you're going to call the game that way, then call it that way for the entire game. Don't call it that way for the one hit where the Vikings decimated somebody. Call it for, that, for the rest of the game. Call it when, when, Kirk, when Dalvin Cook gets blown up in the middle of the field. Why is that not the same exact call? Uh, the only thing I saw different on that one was Dalvin wasn't in the air initially. But again, when Harrison Smith hit the receiver, he was on the ground already. It was a ridiculous call. You cannot have those calls in the game. And then finally, the pass interference on Thielen on the third down at the end of the game. He was interfered with twice on the play. On his break, he was held on the hip. On the catch, he was hit before the ball got there. There was two interference on the same play. Neither of them was called. And the Vikings end up losing that game and not even getting a single first down on that final drive. I mean, it, it was ridiculous. I thought the officiating was very bad. Again, you cannot blame the, the three or four bad calls that the refs made as the reason the Vikings lost when there was 20 other mistakes that the Vikings, if they don't make those, they're not in that situation to lose. They don't give the refs the chance to blow the game for them. So, I, I mean, I don't know, BG, if you thought uh, they were egregious as I did, but I, I thought it was pretty bad officiating on Sunday.
3: I thought, in particular, that Harrison Smith one just pissed me off. When I was watching the game, I know why the rules in place, but the rule is in place to be called when that act, when you actually violate the rule, when you lead with the crown of your helmet and you hit their head, which Harrison Smith didn't do either of. He led with his shoulder. He didn't hit the helmet. He got a little high, but not even in the neck area. Like you were saying, it was a big hit and a clean hit. And nowadays that's draws a flag, which is so frustrating to see. And it's a huge penalty, 15 yards. Getting off the topic a little bit, it's just one of the. I just hate that rule in college football where targeting leads to an ejection. Um, maybe they, maybe the person did lead with the head, but just to be ejected off a hit that is incidental and is a huge hit. I think that's a horrible rule, but that can be for another day. But yeah, on top of the penalties, it's just not capitalizing on our opportunities. Um, on that last drive before the Thielen, um no call, Justin Jefferson with a wide open drop. Yep. He would have got the first down and then some who knows what, have, what would have happened, but just not finishing on opportunities. Um, another, another example of that is turnovers. Turnovers have absolutely been killing us these past two games, and we got away with it in Chicago going into Soldier Field and turning the ball over twice, but we were able to get away with that because we played Chicago's horrendous offense, um, and we just had to stop them on offense, which was fine. But we turned over the ball twice against the Cowboys nearly three times on the opening kickoff, which just goes back to how horrible our special teams are and Chris Boyd and that false start on the fake punt. But just two turnovers, you can't you can't beat a team no matter how bad they are. When, when you have two turnovers, your special teams is getting slaughtered on punt return, kick return, fielding, all of that, and you have bad defense. So the, the offense played great like I know we've been saying Kirk played great and that is encouraging, especially after how he started the season, but just two phases of football defense and special teams, we're getting killed on. And no matter what we do, no matter what the refs call, we've got ourselves to blame for, for those mistakes.
2: Yeah. I had to look it up where Mike prefer was now coaching. He's down in Cleveland uh, as a special teams coordinator left the Vikings in 2018. I didn't even realize he left uh, when he did, but we got to get Mike prefer back. I mean, this, Vikings team had one of the best special team units year after year for almost a decade. Mike Prefer was one of, if not the best special teams coordinator in all the NFL, and he dominated when he was here with the Vikings. We had tremendous special teams for a long time. Obviously, the field goal kicking was an issue for sure, especially at the end of his time, but how much can you blame uh, that on the coach when when you have Blair Walsh missing 27-yard field goals? and problems like that that occurred for the next several years. But still, our special teams were dominant when we had Mike Briefer. Why did we let him walk? Uh, we, we should have paid him the moon to stay. I mean, it's very obvious now how terrible this special teams unit is. If, if it's not firing the, the special teams coach, then I don't know what you do because this has been pathetic, and something needs to change. If not this year, you, you got to change the coach heading into next season if this continues. BG, any other thoughts Vikings related before we get uh, over to a little Packer talk with Randy?
3: Yeah, just quick echoing that. I'll, I'll say it again. I cannot believe that the Vikings have 13 punt return yards all season long. That is just shameful. It seemed like every punt return Marcus Sherels would have, and I'm a big fan of Marcus Sherels, he would at least get like five yards a return. And we've literally had 13 all season long. It's just on so many fronts, the punt blocking, Obviously, punts getting blocked, uh, kick return—we have n- nothing happening. As mm-hmm. we saw, Cordell Patterson go right by us. We can't have a run back like that uh, for ourselves. It's just nowhere. There's no excitement um, on special teams, and it goes a long way. And I don't think a lot of people know that.
2: Yep, it makes a big difference, and we've seen it uh, through this Vikings season. Randy, let's bring you in here as the Packers dropped to the Indianapolis Colts in overtime, 34. 34- 31 and the Packers were up big. I think it was 28-14 in that first half, Randy. What happened?
4: Uh 28-14 in the first half and then we had six offensive plays in the first 22 minutes of the second half. Uh that um we had two-three and out to start the second half and then we fumbled a uh a kickoff and gave the ball to the uh, the Colts in prime territory. Excellent field position.
2: Mm-hmm.
4: Um and then yeah, from there it would mean our run defense was just abysmal and I mean it's I, it's frustrating for me and I mean I'm I'm obviously not an NFL coach I'm I not even close to a uh, a little league football coach um but uh I mean I I've been a Mike Penton fan for a while but we were in these nickel and dime sets all throughout the second half and it was so clear that they were just going to run the ball all over us and we're sitting out there with Christian Kirksey as our one linebacker and all Jonathan Taylor had to do was just you know sneak through the offensive line which he's really good at and then he's gonna get five six seven eight yards which seemed like he got every play um and it was the fact that we were in that game even at the end I, did, did you two watch the end of that game
2: i did not know it, it
4: was the law lo- it was the longest like final two minutes of a nfl game i think i've ever seen so you have first off you have the packers going foot on fourth and two which i think was a smart play on no, fourth and fourth and one. I think it was fourth and inches. Um, maybe on the Indianapolis 35, 40 yard line. and um, The the only two plays that you run on a fourth and inches are if they stack the uh, stack the middle of the box, you run an outside uh, run play, and if they don't stack the middle, then you just run a QB sneak. And we ran a play action pass, and Rogers had a guy
3: barreling towards him and
4: just barely overthrew Jamal Williams. So um, Andy, I have got a
3: question on that. All right. As a Packers fan, why is why isn't Aaron Jones in those plays as a receiving back? I feel like he's head over heels the better re- receiving back. I,
4: uh, I as a Packers fan, I don't. I mean, Jones has made some some flashy, um, like some flashy catches, but um, both. I mean, both Jamal and. Um, uh, um, Aaron Jones are phenomenal running backs, both um, both pass catching and in the run game. And I, I don't know. I think you guys, most Packer fans, um, it's not a big deal which of those guys you had. And I think, I mean, Rodgers. The the one pet peeve I have for Rodgers week in and week out is he makes way too many throws off his back foot when he doesn't need to. And that he threw that foot that ball off his back foot when he could have, um, you know, he might have had to take a hit, but I mean, it's it's fourth and inches with the game on the line, and I mean, he threw off his back foot a little bit for that long throw that NVS um, trying to score that field goal uh, at the end yeah. of the game. So, like sometimes it works, but I, I mean, there's just so many times he throws off that back foot when he doesn't have to, um, and he gets away with it so much. Uh, I think that's the only bad um, habit that that Rogers has as a quarterback. Yeah. But either way, then the um, the, the Colts get the ball and their play calling was just crazy they had like seven holding penalties called in a, in a span of like 10 plays they were um, they went for it on fourth and four which you could see the pick play come in where the the slot receiver sets a pick or the uh the receiver on the outside just a simple slant round good for five yards and a first down um and then they went out on like second and 20. Um, after getting that first down that they're just trying to run the clock out and they try to pass and um, Preston Smith gets, gets to Phillip rivers. And if he gets to Phillip rivers, not even a uh, half a second quicker, then he knocks that ball out before rivers arm is moving forward. And it's a, um, it's a fumble recovery for a touchdown. Um, but it was, I mean, the, the the fact that the Packers even had a chance at the end of that game was a joke I mean I think if you're a Colts fan you're have you sneaked away with that one um I mean I could get into MVS fumbling that uh that that easy uh, throw and catch in overtime too but um I mean I, I I'm down in Florida now but it's uh, it's a little funny with, with my family group chat my uh my dad like most men in his uh, late 40s is starting to have blood pressure issues so um I was texting my mother how uh how he was doing Uh, you know, obviously he was born and raised in green Bay. And um, the first text I got was we find it here. Oh, the the internet went out um, at a crucial moment down at like, it was like right before the fourth down and we have internet TV back home. She said, my dad, uh, my dad might've had a heart attack. (laughs) And then after the next, the next text I got from her was lots of muttering going on, words like imploding, and this is the worst half of football I've ever seen. <laughs> um, so it was a it was a tough night for my dad, uh, to to say the least, and and for for a lot of Packers fans. And I mean, I think he's right. It was the worst half of football um, the Packers have played, and I mean, a couple seasons. Uh, maybe that the Colts are a good team, kind of handed to them, but there's no way that. Um, the fact that we let that game slip away is it's, that's going to eat at that team for a while. And um, I just hope that run defense can get their act together for the uh, last couple of games of the season.
2: Yeah. Packers still atop the NFC North at seven and three bears right behind them at five and five. And then our Minnesota Vikings at four and six. I mean, it would have been a great, great opportunity to get to five and five equal up with the bears and have, have a chance. And I mean, obviously the Packers in control of this NFC North, but BG, two games back of the wild card of Arizona right now, I still think the magic number is nine wins. If you get to nine wins, I think we've got a great chance to get in. Uh, But what do you see in playoff related? Do you think we're still alive? Uh,
3: I think it, just being realistic here, it does not look good for us. Uh, I think it means that we're going to have to so put aside the New Orleans Saints game and the Buccaneers game. We're going to have to win all of those other games, win out those, and then win one of the two. Uh, and it would be a huge upset for the Vikings teams. We've had good success against the Saints. Who knows if they'll be with or without Breeze? Mm-hmm. But that Buccaneers team is going to be very hard to beat. So I'd the it's, this this loss was huge. I mean, four game winning streak. Two more easy games to go. Um, get above. 500 and now we're at four and six two away from 500 i mean i don't i don't think we're making it
2: yeah i mean it was certainly a big blow but let's look around the nfl just a little bit as the nfc east i think is obviously the most exciting i think the most exciting division in football with how terrible it is and randy with the eagles at three six and one that tie uh that they got the playing for the tie as doug peterson said that's crucial right now they they lead the division with that tie
4: yeah, I, I've never understood the, like, I don't know, like the whole playing for the tie. Like, if they would have just gone and won the game like they they should have. Like, the, um, I don't know. I think it's just, I think it started as, I know Mike Greenberg's been all over, you know, the tie's going to be so important towards the end of the year. And, yep. Um, but it's, <laughs> to, hear, to hear an NFL coach talk about how, how important that tie was um, is just... Uh, I don't know. It's, I, I think, I think the Eagles are, I, I, I wouldn't touch the Eagles. If I was betting money on, I wouldn't touch the Eagles or a team they're playing with a 10 foot wall. You don't know what that team is going to be every week. Carson Wentz is so uh, bad.
3: Yeah. Uh, Carson Carson Wentz is (laughs) terrible. I I don't know if you guys saw the game. Horrible interceptions. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my god!
2: Uh, yeah, it's getting into the point with Carson Wentz and the Eagles where you gotta honestly think about putting Jalen Hurts in the game. I mean, what else are you put keeping him in there for? I mean, there's really not much more potential. Or I mean, can he really get that much better? He's, you know, what is this year three? I don't know how many games he's played, but when do you pull the plug on Carson Wentz? It's got to be soon. I'd say right now. Yeah, I think you let the season oh play god. out. <laughs> yeah, we'll see what happens. The problem with the Eagles, though, is. Yes, they're in first, but they now have to play a couple games, a very tough schedule here, as they play a couple games in the NFC West uh, against the Seahawks, the Saints, and then the Cardinals. I mean, that's... And then you mix the Packers in there, so their next four games are Seahawks on Monday Night Football, Packers uh, two weeks from Sunday, uh, Saints, and then the Cardinals. I mean, that's four really tough games, and four games they'll be favored to lose in all of those four games. But it, it... Brags the question: Is the NFC East is six and ten going to get uh, one of those teams to the playoffs? Because <laughs> I mean, that yeah, seems... I mean, you had a mm-hmm. oh, what yeah. was it
4: that the Seahawks with Marshawn Lynch weren't they seven and nine when yeah. Marshawn Lynch had the beast mode run? Yep, um, against the Saints, I think that's the last terrible team uh, to make it. But um, I think what what they're doing in the NFC though is you have a bunch of teams. I mean, because. Arizona's, they have the last wild card, wild card spot right now. Yeah. What are they? Are they six and four?
2: They are, no, they are seven and three. No, six and four, you're right. Seven and three. Six and six four, and you're right. And
4: yeah. four. But, but still, I mean, at this point, the season to have your last team in an expanded playoff year um, in the NFC being six and four, uh, I mean, I think the NFC, the NFC East is just handing the rest of the NFC just bogus victories.
2: Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, let's talk a little AFC, just quickly wrapping up NFL. Steelers 10-0. and 0. I still think the Chiefs are the best team in football after their primetime win over the Raiders. But the Raiders, hey, they, they held in there. They almost got a win. They almost beat the Chiefs again. And I love watching Raider football. John Gruden, he's, he's a flipping beauty. And I, I love that game on Sunday night. But I still think the Chiefs are far and away the best team in the league at 9-1, and one. Uh, although I will say the Steelers – it's 10-0, pretty good number two team. Uh, but I think one and two right now in the NFL are, are both in the AFC. Your guys' thoughts.
3: Yeah, I'm I'm with you. I don't really know what to expect out of the Steelers. Obviously, they're a really good defensive team, and they're a good offensive team, but I don't think they're the best team in the NFL. I think the Chiefs, they have that experience with the guys on the roster right now, obviously winning the Super Bowl last season. They have those veteran guys on on the team that can go out and get you a win Uh, with Mahomes, with Tyreek Hill, with Mm -hmm. Kelsey. It's a three-headed monster you can't stop. I don't feel the same way about the Steelers, even though they for sure have the better defense and can make the argument there that defense wins champions. But I'd say those two are towards the top. I I still say Packers are towards the top, even after that ugly win versus the Colts. You think that come playoff time, Rodgers would put together a complete game. Um, if they score 28 in the first half, finish around that 45 or 50 mark. But I probably agree with you. I think the Chiefs are number one in my book, and the Ravens are very overrated.
4: I, I don't think I don't think the Ravens are overrated though. I think if you look at the injuries they've had, um, their offense and defensive line has been decimated. They've lost um, they lost that tight end last week. I, I'm blanking on his name. Like and then also look for this Thursday night, they, they um, both J.K. Dobbins and uh, Gus Edwards are going to be out uh, on the COVID list. Um, I think uh, I don't think the Ravens are overrated. I think they're just a battered, battered team, <laughs> and um, and that uh, and and I think it showed uh, against uh, the, the Patriots on a on a. Tough night where they couldn't uh, throw the ball as much. He had to rely on that run game. But um, I, I disagree a little bit with your Ravens are over. Take I, I think they're just uh, they're just Um uh, But yeah, but getting back to the original question though, Beal. Uh, I think I agree with you that Steelers and Chiefs are the best teams in the NFL. Um, as I've been saying all season, Steelers are my, my have been my pick for uh, to go to the Super Bowl from the uh, from the AFC. I have future bets out there. For uh, the Steelers to win the AFC, I got good money on that in, uh, uh, in week two, I think it was. Um, so uh, I think I think they carry that defense. And again, as I've been saying all year, they just need Big Ben to be average. Like they don't need to be anything special. James Conner's great a running back. Um, the Steelers have the Steelers are built like a um, like a Patriots Super Bowl team over the past twenty years. Like a solid defense. Solid quarterback play. Quarterback can win you tight games. Um, and I think that's where they're going to end up on top in the AFC this
2: year. Yeah, we'll see. I think the Chiefs got a really good defense, and it's going to be a great AFC championship game if it's those two teams meeting for the spot in the Super Bowl. Uh, Vikings at home next week against the Panthers. We'll preview that game on Friday morning as well as the Packers game. Uh, and we'll look around the NFL on Friday as well, getting ready for next week's games. Moving on to Gopher recap. Gophers get a big win over the Purdue Boilermakers 34-31, thanks to uh, really a a terrible call uh, by the officiating crew. This time it goes in favor of Minnesota, and they call off a touchdown to tight end Durham from Purdue, and it really cost Purdue the game. They throw an interception a couple plays later, and Gophers end up winning that game. So B- BG, obviously the Vikings had some officiating calls go against them, but Gophers got a big win uh, thanks in part to uh, that call.
3: Yeah, and you know what? I actually didn't watch a single play of the game just because how the earlier part of the Gophers season has gone. And it, it sounded like it was a good game, 34-31, against a subpar team, Purdue Boilermakers, which I guess the Gophers are a subpar team this season. But the only the only play I did see was that offensive P.I., or better yet, the, the lack of P.I., the just a horrible call. And it, it sucks when a when a play like that directly out comes the game, which I'm sure there's opportunities that they missed that they didn't win that game, but it's just heartbreaking. Thankfully, uh, selfishly, it was against the Gophers, so it benefited us. But I'm glad that we could get into the win column, uh, something that we're unfamiliar with this season. But I will say going back – I talked about it last week with Muhammad Ibrahim. He had another good week this, this past week. He had a 113 yards, I think it was, in three touchdowns. But he is now – so last week we talked about him. He was the 24th leading rusher in the country. Yep. Um, in the Big Ten obviously started later than pretty much every conference other than the Pac-10. He is now the 10th leading rusher in all of college football, and he is tied for third in rushing touchdowns with 13 which is pretty crazy, wow. and I was looking at the stats, and I was gonna I was gonna give another hot take, like I did last week about Indiana being in the playoffs, which is unfortunately not true.
2: Right, correct.
3: Although they they only lost uh, Ohio State by seven mm-hmm. this past weekend, so they're pretty close. Yep. But I was gonna give a hot take that Muhammad Ibrahim is gonna lead all of college football with rushing yards this season, but I'm just gonna say he is not gonna do that, but definitely gonna lead the Big, big Ten. Because uh, Big Ten only plays eight games this season compared to ten around the country, so mm. it'd be sweet if he could do it. I don't think he can catch up to the Iowa State running back.
2: Yeah, I mean it's hard when you're down games for sure, but yeah, nevertheless, a very impressive season for Mo Ibrahim. Three touchdowns again. I'm meet. gonna take. Yeah, go ahead, Randy.
4: Also, I'm gonna take take BG that that was not a hot take that he's going to lead lead the Big Ten rushing. Is he, I haven't looked at the stats, but he's got to be. Yeah, he's he's four hundred yards ahead of Tyler Goodson, who is second with four hundred fifty three yards. <laughs> no, my hot he take was could, he to lead cannot, the country. Oh, I think you said not lead the country, but lead the Big Ten.
3: Uh, I was saying, my hot take was going to be lead the country, but I'm not going with that. So I, I was I was just saying that he's going to lead the Big Ten for sure. I don't oh, yeah, think he, he can finish off that the hot take with playing two less games. Although that'd be quite the quite the feat.
4: I think he could go the rest of the season without playing a game and still lead the Big Ten in uh, in Russia. Yeah, (laughs) probably.
2: Probably. Uh, But, yeah, the Gophers, I mean, it was a big win.
1: He's yet to throw a pass on this look this season, but he's got
2: the ability to do it. And now he's going to run up the middle, and Green is in for a Touchdown. Uh, Seth Green, big-time touchdown there, and he also had a big catch on third and eight. I think it was the first drive of the second half. Uh, he had a 20-yard pickup, took a big shot, held on to the football. Uh, so some big-time plays from a friend of the pod this week. Seth Green helping the Gophers get that 34-31 victory over the Purdue Boilermakers. Um, and other news around the conference here, Ramad. Oc Mati B. He, he's going off for Northwestern. They're five and zero, and they had a big time win uh, over the Wisconsin Badgers. Now ranked 19th or 18th in the country, the Gophers have them on Saturday. We'll talk about that game on Friday. But big time win for Northwestern in front of the show. Ramad Bateman, or <laughs> not, not Rashad Bateman. Ramad O s O C Mati B. Ramad Chiakio Bowman, another touchdown, and he scored four in two weeks, and you just can't keep him out of the end zone, BG.
3: Yeah, it's awesome to see guys like that um, do well, and it's sweet that he's on a great Northwestern team and actually getting him the ball because usually Northwestern doesn't come out and throw the ball. But like you said, three touchdowns two weeks ago now and then touchdown against Wisconsin, a good defense, um, and on his way to um, getting more receptions and more touchdown catches while Northwestern gets more of a national spotlight, um, being undefeated as they are and beating some good teams. And I'm sure when we go up against Northwestern, he's gonna tear apart our horrible defense. So it'll be bittersweet to see.
2: Yeah, and with that touchdown, we're gonna have a new segment starting on this show. Uh, here it is. Did Romans go
1: touch on this wing? Did Romans go touch on this wing? Did Ramatsky touch on this wing? Did Ramad score a touchdown? Ramad score a touchdown
2: this week. And there you have it. New segment, did Ramad score a touchdown this week? Yes, is the answer for week one. Uh, but, boys, wrapping up the Big Ten, uh, Northwestern, as I mentioned, atop the Big Ten West at 5-0, and, and, and then Ohio State atop the Big Ten East at 4-0. and o. Obviously, uh, Indiana 4-1 and one just behind them. Uh, but, fellas, reactions here through five weeks of, of big 10 football?
4: Uh, the big 10 is bad. It's not good at football this year with the exception of Ohio state. It's uh, <laughs> it's, it's not the good football this year. Your classic, your classic blue blood powerhouse teams are not playing well. I Penn state, Michigan, Michigan state. Um, it's, it's, the, the Big Ten Conference is is looking forward to basketball season. I'll tell you that right
2: there. Yeah. Yeah. And we're gonna talk some basketball later this week. BG, we'll do a full preview of the NCAA uh, of gopher basketball and everything we need to know heading into this March or into this NCAA college basketball season here this week as things get ready. We'll do that on Friday. Uh but yeah, any anything else? Vikings, gophers, Big Ten, NFL related before we move into Ramble Ricky Boys.
3: Um, Just quick NFL-related, it's fun to follow these Minnesota guys, and a couple of them have been getting some good action in the NFL recently that we I don't think have talked about on the podcast uh, at all. So Max Williams, he has been playing pretty damn well the past two weekends Um, for the Cardinals. Yeah, for the Cardinals. Uh, He had a touchdown I think two weeks ago and is racking up some yards, so that's cool to see. And then Rodney Smith, the former Gophers running back, is the backup running back for the Panthers and has himself in a pretty good backup role right now behind Mike Davis because McCaffrey's out, so I guess he would be a third string, but he's taking advantage of his opportunity, and he's, he's getting about eight carries a game uh, when McCaffrey's out, so that's cool to see.
2: Yeah, good to, good to note there too, especially with the Panthers coming to town this Sunday. be fun yeah. to watch Rodney Smith going against his Vikings defense. All righty, let's get to Ramblin' Ricky. Great one this week. Here it is, Rambling Ricky. And we now welcome on Rambling Ricky for his tale of the week. Ricky, last week we were talking about Padre Peel. Incredible story about Peel, and I, you mean they've been incredible so far. So what do you got for us uh, this week?
0: Hey Bill, yeah, I, <laughs> I hope this one um, blows you away. Like last week, it, it definitely won't. It's not as a uh you know, mind blowing as, as, as Padre Pio was, I, it's hard to compare to him, but this one, I, I was looking through some articles and this is, this kind of got, got me laughing at first. Um, but the more I read into it, it's kind of a serious story. Um, but the title of the article was the ghost's testimony used as key evidence to convict a man of murder. <laughs> I just started laughing. I was like, Oh my, that's ridiculous. But then I looked into it. I'm like, Oh, this is okay. This is kind of a serious, serious tale. So I'll, I'll hop hmm. into it here. Um, it's, this ghost and it's, it's kind of a famous, famous tale, um, called the Green Greenbrier ghost. And I'd swear I'd heard about it maybe through this show called ghost adventures that I mm-hmm. am Ricky adores. Um, yeah, I've but seen anyway, show. yeah, it's, it's pretty good, pretty good entertainment, but oh um, yeah,
2: it's entertaining for sure. I'll give you that. It
0: really is regardless of not how factual it is. It's hard to say, but right. Um, so this story is about, uh, unfortunately, um, that's why it's not not super funny, and it's pretty serious, but it's about the death of a woman um, in 1897. Her mm, name okay. was El- Elva Hester, um, and her body was found at the bottom of the stairs in her home by a boy that her husband, his name is Erasmus Shea, um, he had sent to his house. Um, and so before a doctor could come to the house, Shea had carried her body upstairs and dressed her up himself, um, which I guess was super unusual for a husband to do at that time. And Well, obviously now that'd be unusual, but... yeah back in the 1800s. It was still they unusual different... then. It was still unusual then. So <laughs> gotcha. Must have been real unusual. Um, so I, apparently they said the women of the town would have done it, but um, he said he dressed her up in a high necked dress, the veil over her face, and he stayed at the head of her body holding her head and apparently crying the whole time while the doctor examined the body. But he refused to let the doctor go by her head when he noticed there was some bruising by her neck. And the doc- like he started to get violent, and the doctor left the house because he, couldn't deal with, uh, the, the man anymore. And I guess, you know, 1897, they don't investigate any further than that at the ta- times have really changed because, um, the, the doctor's word was that the death was caused by fainting or, mm. and then, and then like two weeks later it got changed to death by uh, death during childbirth. Oh, and none of those were true, but no one knew it at the time. And, mm. um, cause it was unknown if she was even pregnant, that wasn't even determined. That's what they changed. But during the funeral, the husband didn't allow anyone near the head of the casket, even though for some reason it was an open casket. And the woman's mother was pretty suspicious, but the case was closed and nobody did anything further into it and um, until a month later where the woman's mother claimed that her daughter had visited her as a bright light in her room that gradually took the form of her body and explained to her over the course of four different nights that she visited how her husband broke her neck after she didn't cook him meat for dinner. Uh, so, wow. and I, I hate to laugh about that, but that's just that's ridiculous, um, and proved it to her by showing her her neck in you know ghost form. So, so the mother went to the prosecutor, went to the doctor, and they thought she was crazy. But the doctor did reveal to the prosecutor that he didn't really do a full examination, um, and so they, um, at, I guess. Like I said, I don't know the practices of 1897, but mm-hmm. they were like, all right, that's enough to dig up the body again. So they dug up the body, did a op- full autopsy this time, and uh, they found that her neck was broken, mm. just as the woman had told her, and the, the man was put on trial and sentenced to life and died in prison. Wow.
2: All over not getting meat for dinner four nights in a row? It
0: was, it, it, that, was, it was. <laughs> that was allegedly the case, yes. Apparently, wow. apparently he was violent in other aspects of life. Uh, aside being, you know, not served meat for dinner. but
2: Yeah, I would imagine that me. there was something yep. else going on there. Um,
0: you don't just become a normal guy or not a normal guy and then just flip out after not having dinner. But I don't know, pretty crazy story. And he said that one of his wives beforehand had died also of kind of a mysterious death. So mm. he might have been the sus- suspect of that, but he died only three years after he was put in prison as of like a virus or something. So,
2: mm. Oh, wow. Elva Hester, is that what you said? That's a Elva quote? Hester.
0: Yep, quite the name, Elva Elva Hester. Zona Hester. Hester. Yep. I love it.
2: I love it. Well, hey, crazy. I mean, where do you find these stories? Like, where, where did you, where did you read this? we you, you looking at the eighteen seventy times today, or what?
0: Uh, yeah, you know, I was trying to do my homework, I was like, ah, oh, what is what, what happened back then? What were they? Time was different then. I, I this one just stumbled upon when I was just looking at the, the other the other stories have been like things that either BG and I have talked about before. Um, cause like a lot of them were related to music. And then the Padre Pio one last week was, um, something I had been hearing about the last couple of years and it was brought to my attention like a couple of weeks earlier. I'm like, this would be a good one to do mm-hmm. for that. But th- this one was pretty random. I was just searching the internet for, um, news stories in history that shocking news stories in history. and This one <laughs> the blue popped up.
2: Yeah, definitely shocking. Very strange, but uh, good story. nonetheless. Appreciate it, appreciated Zachary. Uh, I should say absolutely. Rumble and Ricky.
0: Ramblin' Ricky yes sir I'm glad to I'm glad that there was another I know this one's not it's hard to hard to follow up last week's but this one was definitely a little bit a little bit of an interesting story and I hope you guys enjoyed it
2: yeah certainly keep it up we'll see you uh, a week from now uh, for our next edition of Ramblin' Ricky Tales of the Week
1: what's the problem baby what's the problem i don't know well maybe i'm in love love think about it every time i think about it can't stop thinking about it how much longer will it take to cure this just to cure it because i can't ignore it if it's love love makes me want to turn around and face me but i don't know nothing about love Oh. Uh-huh. Come on, come on, turn a little faster Come on, come on, the world will follow after Come on, come on, cause everybody's after love So I said I'm a snowball running Running down into the string that's coming All this love, love melting under blue skies Melting out sunlight shimmering love well, baby, I surrender to the strawberry ice cream. Never, ever, ever, all this love. Well, I didn't mean to do it, but there's no escaping your love. No. These lines are lightning mean, mean we're never alone, never alone. No, no, come on, come on, move a little closer. Come on, come on, I wanna hear you whisper. Come on, come on, settle so down inside my love. Come on, come on, jump a little higher Come on, come on, you feel a little lighter Come on, come on, we're once upon a time in love We're accidentally in love